going to be uh, finishing up Acts chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we're looking at verses 12 uh, to 26 this morning. And uh, you there? You found the book of Acts, hopefully in your Bible or on your phone. Good? Excited? All right. Title of the message uh, this morning is Lord, Prepare Me. Lord, Prepare Me. Um, maybe you've heard of that song. Um, it was popular a long time ago. It was just re-released. Lord, prepare. Does anyone know this song? Yeah, you know it. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Uh, I mean, I would prefer the title, Lord, prepare us, because I always like to think in terms of the church as a plural, as a body of Christ, not just all me and individual, but it didn't, you know, work with the song. So that's the title. Lord, prepare me. Uh, Lord, prepare me. And here's why that is the title of the message this morning. Think about it. Acts chapter two is next Sunday. Do you know what happens in Acts chapter two? And it's okay if you don't, but in the life of of the church, in church history, it's a very important moment. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's called Pentecost. And, And the disciples have been told to go to Jerusalem and wait for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus could have, he could have sent the Holy Spirit at the moment, at the instant that he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, which we saw in Acts chapter one, the first few verses. But he didn't. He he wanted a few more things to happen. What are those things? What are the things that that Luke shows us in all of Acts chapter 1, in the rest of Acts chapter 1, that the church obviously is supposed to do to prepare themselves for the Holy Spirit? It's almost as if the church is building themselves into an altar that the Spirit would come down upon. So that's what we see in Acts chapter 1 is all the ways that the first Christians, the early church, according to God's word, were prepared in their lives and their hearts together as a community for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, prepare me. So I want to read to you Acts 1, 12 through 26, just to see this passage in its entirety here. And then we have three, um, because it's always three. Three points uh, this morning, and they're good, and they're from the text. And so let me read uh, Acts 1, 12 uh, through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field 
uh, with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, let's bow together and pray. And then in our prayer, let's ask the Lord to help us understand those verses. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what uh, Jeremy mentioned, the person uh, yesterday in their outreach who, who came in uh, to the kingdom of God, who prayed to receive Jesus Christ. We praise you for that, Lord. We know the angels rejoice in heaven when just one person turns their heart back to you. Lord, we thank you for that. We, we pray, Lord, uh, for, for this morning as we worship you, as we worship you in song, as we worship you, as we study your word, God, as we say to you in this exercise, in this time, as we study the word, as we say to you, God, your ways, not our ways, your thoughts, not our thoughts, your plans, not our plans. So Lord, may we just, just even now in our, in our minds, with our attitudes, with our hearts, may we yield to you. May we just let you be the Lord of our life. Be filled with your spirit and see the truths of scripture as plain and see Christ as Lord. In his name we pray, amen. So Lord, prepare me. So this morning we have three points. And the first point is this, and it comes from verses 12 through verse 14. The point is this, wait and pray with true brothers and sisters in Christ for the will of God. Wait and pray for the will of God. Wait and pray for the will of God. So look at verse 12. It says, when they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. Now, the first thing I just want to point out to you is the location where they are there. It, it says it in the text. Do you see it? Jerusalem. It says they returned to Jerusalem. Now, why is that key? Why would we even take a moment and pause and point that out so deliberately? Well, listen, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. He told them they needed to be in a specific place. That was his command to them. He reminded them of it last week. We saw in Acts 1 in the beginning. I'll show you a verse here 
Luke 24, verse 49, we can read it together. This is what Jesus said at the end of Luke. He was talking about these days, and he said, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. So where were they supposed to be? Where? In the city, in Jerusalem. Were they supposed to be fishing at the Sea of Galilee? You know, Galilee is actually really, really a far distance from Jerusalem. Were they supposed to be there? No, they weren't. But they were there in John. In the post-resurrection accounts in John, Jesus finds them fishing. And Jesus makes breakfast for them on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Again, they weren't always following instructions. But here, Luke goes out of his way to show us that they were obeying Christ. It says, then they, what does it say? Returned to Jerusalem. They were in God's will. They were where they were supposed to be. And, And I think we shouldn't just go by that too quickly. That is an example for us. You know, there, there are times where God has told us to be somewhere and we're, why aren't we there? We're not there. We're not obeying. And there are times when God has told us not to be somewhere. It could be a geographical place. It could be a lifestyle. It could be some decisions. It could be a relationship. God has said, don't be there. And we're there. Why? Again, the importance of obeying the Lord of seeking his will, wait and pray with true brothers and sisters in Christ for the will of God. That's the point here. So it says again in verse 12 that they stayed in Jerusalem. Where did they come from? It says from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. What is a Sabbath's day journey? Well, that just means, you know, on the Sabbath, you're supposed to rest, right? So you're only allowed, there were rules about this, you're only allowed to walk a certain distance, okay? So it was like one kilometer. And so what he's saying is that this was like really close. Like they walked from the Mount of Olivet, it's a 15-minute walk to the upper room. I'll show you a slide with a picture of um, the distance. So you can see the Mount of Olives and you can see where the upper room was. And this was a short walk. This was a Sabbath day walk. This was a 15-minute walk. This was not a marathon. This was not a 5K. This was not a long distance exercise. This was, they walked 15 minutes. Luke goes out of his way to show that they didn't break the Sabbath. They walked to the upper room. That's a picture of the upper room. I was blessed to just recently go on a trip to Israel and walk in all these places, walk from the Mount of Olives to the upper room and experience that 15-minute walk and just just to see right there, you know, that's a group praying in the upper room, just really, really amazing. And so they go, it says, a Sabbath day journey to the upper room. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew. Okay, you see those four names? Those are familiar names of some of the disciples. He continues, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas. And now just know that this Judas, there's always given the 
extra stuff about him just to make sure he's differentiated from the other Judas. It's Judas, the son of James, and that's 11. So leaving out here, who? Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed our Lord. So what, what could we maybe notice from this verse? What is here for us? Now, this takes like some more careful study of the Bible, but one thing is, again, Luke wrote Luke, and he wrote Acts. We've talked about that. Luke records the same list of disciples in Luke chapter 6. And so I was curious. I wonder if there's any changes to how he records their names. Luke chapter 6, Acts chapter 1. Anything different? Did he say it the same way? I mean, obviously, he dropped Judas Iscariot out. So there's 11, and there was 12. But any differences? And I realized, oh, there are differences. Not a lot of differences, but differences that I think matter. And I'll read to you uh, a quote about this very matter from, from John Stott. The list is the same as Luke 6, with only minor variations, separating the natural brothers, Peter and Andrew, as if to hint that a new brotherhood in Christ has replaced the old kinship interesting, maybe even challenging, but definitely encouraging that, that God's will for us is to have true brothers and sisters in Christ in the upper room in our lives with whom we're pursuing the will of God. That's why the point is to wait and pray with the true brothers and sisters in Christ for the will of God. Now, again, and we passed by this, but they went to the city of Jerusalem and they needed to be in that place that was the will of God for them, which is where God told them to be. But they also needed to do what? To wait. You know that sometimes waiting is a matter of Christian obedience. And, and I think sometimes we think, well, we'll wait if necessary, but, but that's just like us waiting. You know, it's not really what God wants, but we'll wait because he's like working. And it's like, no, like God commands us all through the scriptures to wait on the Lord. And so this is something that we must grow in is this spiritual discipline of waiting because it's a matter of Christian obedience and discipleship. So continuing here, we are now in verse 14. What were they doing while they were waiting? Verse 14, all of these, do you see? Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It's interesting, this phrase, I'm going to talk about some of the words here. So the phrase one accord. It literally, the word, it means to, to have the same mindset, the same attitude to be unified. It's used again, the same word in Acts 15, after they had the little church council where they talked about what should be required of new Gentile Christians and all of that. And you don't need to study that right now. We'll get to it. But the point is, is that after that, they said, now that we are of one voice, now that we are of one mind, after our council where we voted, now that we have the same view, let's now share that. The point here is that as they were praying together, they were unified. They had one mind. You know, when we pray together, this is important, that we agree 
in the Lord, and we pray together with one mind. Sometimes we say that, you know, we'll just be like churchy. We'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, we agree. I agree in the Lord. You know, we say things like that. But it actually really matters. Like, have you ever had the experience of uh, praying for someone or they pray for you, and you can tell, like, in the moment, like, we're not agreeing. <laughs> like, like, we're not agreeing in the Lord as we're praying. It's kind of awkward. It kind of can feel like spiritual manipulation almost. So, for example, like, you go up to someone and you're like, hey, you know, I'm just really having a rough week. Can you pray for me uh, that I would find a job? And they're like, yeah, absolutely, sister or brother. I'll pray for you right now. And they put their hand on your shoulder and they're like, Lord, we pray you would just cast out the demon of laziness, that they would get up, that they would apply for jobs, that they would just be faithful and all that you've called them. And you're like, whoa. Okay, I asked you to pray for me, but I don't think we're, like, we're kind of praying about the same thing, but we don't have this, what is the word? One accordness. And so that's key. That's key. They, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What were they praying for? They were praying, God, give us strength to wait for the Spirit. Give us strength to stay in your will and be obedient to wait for your will. God, help us wait. Help us not compromise. Help us not think your will's not going to happen and go do our will. God, send your spirit. You promised to send your spirit. We can pray for things that God has promised to do. In fact, it makes a lot of sense to pray for things that God has promised to do because he's going to answer those prayers with a yes. So all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they were not Islam. The men and women could pray together, okay? Hello? Amen? And they were doing that with one accord. So do you see what Luke is showing us here? I mean, he's clearly just telling us what happened, and that matters. But are we not also to learn from this? Luke is showing them that the apostles waited and prayed with their true brothers and sisters in Christ, not just their biological brothers and sisters in Christ, but with their faith family. They waited and they prayed for the will of God in their lives. So how is God challenging me and you to do this also? The second point that I want to show you is from verse 15 and 20. Be shaped and directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. Okay? Be shaped and directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. Look at verse 15 with me. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter stood up. Peter stood on Scripture. This is so significant, and it's easy to miss. 
Peter stood up. The one who denied Christ three times very recently. Peter stood up. Why would Peter think that he could stand up? Perhaps because Peter was allowing the word of God to shape and direct his thoughts and plans more than his own internal voice of shame. Peter stood up. You know, in John's gospel in the 21st chapter, again, we see Jesus meet Peter and talk with him one-on-one. And you've heard of the story perhaps, but he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And it's been said by many that Jesus asks him the question three times, and Peter answers the question three times to mirror the three times that Peter denied Christ. And the point is this restoration of Peter. The verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then at the end of this interaction, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Peter stood up. Be shaped and directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. That's the point here. Peter stood up. What did he stand on? Did he stand on his own performance? Did he stand on his own maturity? Did he stand on his own sort of God-given personality of boldness? No, he stood up on the word of God. Brothers, he says, verse 16, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Peter here is giving a biblical interpretation of the events which had rocked them. Judas was one of them. One of the 12, for three years, a dear friend to them. I think we kind of have this picture of Judas, like, we're like, they knew, they knew. He was always just kind of like the, you know, like the black sheep in the group. Like, he was like slipping money into his pocket. We we have this picture of Judas like that. And I don't know where we get that. It's not accurate. This was their friend. This was their, their co-worker, follower, an apostle. It says he was numbered, verse 17, among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So Peter stands up and Peter gives a biblical framework for the grief that they're experiencing. Be shaped, be directed in your thoughts, in your plans, in your grief by the word of God. And that's what Peter is, with God's help, able to do here. Now, verse 18 um, and 19, Luke is telling his readers, Peter, the disciples would not have needed to have known what, what Luke says in 18 and 19. They were there. But Luke is telling his readers, he's telling, remember, he wrote this book for Theophilus. He's telling them a little bit of detail about what did happen with Judas. And so we'll read verse 18 and 19 with that lens. But but know that what Peter is doing here is he is saying that God knew about what was going to happen with Judas. God knew. It didn't surprise God. Did it grieve the heart of Jesus? Of course. Did it surprise him? No. Does it, did it surprise the disciples? Absolutely. It rocked them. 
Did it grieve them? Absolutely. One of their best friends. But it didn't surprise God. And Peter's even able to find in Scripture, and remember it says in Acts 1 and in some places in Luke that Jesus, during this 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension, that he trained the apostles with the Bible. And so Peter, fresh out of that training with Christ, is able to find some scriptures and share them with the group, this 120 people from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, and say, guys, right here, we we found it. We located it in God's will. It's in the book. This is what actually just happened. God wasn't surprised by this. God is on the throne. He is sovereign. And even when we're shocked and rocked and surprised and when we're grieving, there is great comfort that we can have knowing that's not happening to God right now. He is working this plan for our good. And isn't this also a great reminder to us that someone can be, you know, Judas was chosen by Jesus to be one of his apostles, his disciples. He was officially in that office, in that role. He had that lot in this ministry, which is what it says here. And yet, that did not necessarily tell us of his heart, tell us of his eternal destiny. And I think that's a good warning for us. And we'll get to that in point three. But again, 18 and 19 is Luke just telling his readers what happened with Judas. I'll read it again. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open. It's okay if you say, ugh. In the middle and all his bowels gushed out, ugh. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language. This is the Aramaic language, akeldama, that is, the field of blood. And so Luke is just saying, I've been there, I've walked by it, not through it, of course, but that is a real thing that happened. This is what happened with Judas. Verse 20. Again, this is Peter speaking. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. That's Psalm 69. And let there be no one to dwell in it. And then from Psalm 109, let another take his office. Now, why was it so important for there to be another apostle? I mean, it's a good question to ask. Is Why would it have not been okay to have 11 apostles? Why is it, you know, because in the middle of Acts, one of the apostles dies, James dies. They didn't do this again. They didn't like have this whole ceremony again. It wasn't like they always had to have perfect succession to have the apostles. So why here do they need to have the 12th apostle? Is Paul the 12th apostle? Hmm. Advanced studies for your small group. What? And I'm not saying that he is. But why did they do this? And when they found two people that were qualified, why did they cast lots to decide between them? Why not just have 13? Like, isn't it better to have more Witnesses? Why 12? And I think maybe you might have already been thinking about it, but I'll show you a verse in the New Testament in Luke 22, verse 29 and 30, because the dynamic that we have here at the end of Acts chapter 1 is a dynamic of we have 11 apostles for 12 thrones. 
Because Jesus told his apostles, this right here, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there are no empty thrones in heaven. It was very important for, for the disciples, for the apostles, to, as they started the new early Christian church, to show this great continuity that this church is the people of the God of the Old Testament. This is not a new thing. This is the thing. And this is God's work, and this is God's people. So that's why they did it. But Peter found his reasoning for doing this in what? In the word of God. So again, our point here, be shaped and directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. You see that happening here, right? Three, three ways we just saw it happen. One is that Peter, he could view himself, he could view his right to be a leader, to step up, to have faith, to be bold. He could view that from his own thoughts and perspective, or he could make what Jesus said to him. He could make God's word central to his thinking and planning. Do you see? Or when it comes to Judas's betrayal and understanding what happened, they could all be like, well, the wheels really fell off of that plan. Well, I mean, it's good that God's still at work, but we're on plan B here, and God's a God of plan A and B and C, and like, okay, I mean, and Instead of understanding, no. God is a God of plan A and plan A. And he can be trusted and he is sovereign. And then even with the, the open spot on the apostles, it seems like a small thing, but the open throne, the empty seat in heaven, it's like, man, like, again, be shaped and directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. So I ask you, how can you, how can you be more shaped and more directed in your thoughts and plans by the word of God. Because we are all shaped and directed in our thoughts and plans. There's no question. And, and, and sometimes we think we're being shaped and directed by the word of God, but it's really not. It's a bunch of cliches and sort of chicken soup for the soul nonsense. Are we really shaped and directed in our thoughts and plans by the word of God. It's a challenge. And the third point this morning from verse 21 to 26 is for us to prioritize in our lives and our leadership a heart for God. A heart for God. So verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Uh, Peter is still talking, making his uh, plan and suggestion here to the disciples. You know, you need to find one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. That's when John baptized Jesus. Until the day when he, that's Jesus, was taken up from us. That's Acts chapter 1, the ascension. One of these men, so a man who witnessed all of these things, one of these men must become with us. That's Peter saying with us, the 11 remaining apostles. He must become with us a witness 
to his resurrection. So what we see here in verse 21 and 22 is the external qualifications of an apostle. And for sure, this this gives us assurance that the original apostles were, were people that had the entire necessary resume for actually being a reliable witness to the resurrection and to the life and ministry of Jesus. That's good. These are the external qualifications. These are the things that are objective, like either a person was or they weren't there. Right? This is why if someone comes up to you like, nice to meet you, I'm an apostle. My license plate says apostle. You're like, all right. Do you meet the criteria of verse 21 and 22 in Acts chapter 1? And they're like, no. You're like, okay. Lowercase a, apostle. Um, So, but here, like external qualifications. This is very objective. You either were there or you were not. So, So that's part of it. We look at leadership. We think about do they meet the external objectives, right? Like, like, are they qualified? Verse 23, it says, they put forward two. I think it's interesting. The first guy has three names. It's like, come on. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Man, three names. That's awesome. That's not his first, middle, and last name. It's like he has three names because he operates within three different cultural linguistic groups of people. A Hebrew name, a Aramaic name, and a Latin Roman name. Pretty cool guy. It's too bad he didn't get picked. Um, and then there is Matthias. Then there is Matthias. So he put forward these two guys. Now, some have looked here, and I think it's helpful, right? There's a dynamic here that's worth noting, that, that, that the apostles set forth the criteria for a leader. And the 120 nominate people that fit that criteria. So some people kind of look here and they go, ooh, all right, this is some church government stuff right here. This is good. Let's base our structures and policies and bylaws off this. And you could. It is helpful to see that. Um, Again, though, we talked about studying Acts. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. This is what happened. This is not necessarily telling us what has to happen. So, They put forward two nominations, and then they uh, had a vote. No, they didn't. They didn't have a vote. What happened? Verse 24. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts. That word right there, literally cardiogonoste. It means heart knower. You, Lord, heart knower. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Interesting that they understand they're not choosing. God chooses. They are in the place of just recognizing who God has chosen. Show us, Lord, you know hearts, which one of these you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Now, I want to think about this for a moment. Think about this prayer in verse 24. It's not like 
it's, it, it's a little shallow to just be like, oh, okay, we had a tie, we have a tie. And, and they decided to pray about the tie. So it's like, it's like a football game, right? It's like they're about to flip the coin in the next verse, okay? But first, let's have the national anthem in the prayer, okay? Like, it's not just, that's shallow. Think about what they're saying. They walked for three years with a fellow disciple who met all of the external qualifications of being a disciple. But they didn't know his heart. They didn't know his heart. And they have been brutally awakened to the fact that they did not know the heart and that they don't know the heart. And so this prayer means so much more when you think about that. They're like, look, we've got two guys. And, and one, the guy with three names, and then Matthias, like, they're both qualified. They both meet the criteria. But Lord, how are we going to choose? We don't know hearts like you know hearts, Lord. What a good posture for these disciples to have as they pray in one accord about this matter. And what a lesson it is for us. And that's why the point number three is what it is. Prioritize in my life and leadership a heart for God. Because the disciples essentially with this prayer are saying, God, okay, we checked those boxes and those boxes really matter a lot, those qualifications. But now we're here and we don't know the hearts. And Lord, what we just learned from Judas is that that is the most important thing. Prioritize a heart for God. So verse 26 shows us how they, because they didn't get a clear answer to that prayer, now, some would say it's because the Spirit has not been poured out yet. Some would say if this were Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit is poured out in Pentecost, then they would not have needed to cast lots because God would have just told them. Maybe. But that's reading into it and sort of reading some things that aren't there, but maybe. Some even say that they cast lots and that was a bad plan, but they did it and Luke recorded it. And the reason we never hear about Matthias again is because it was a bad plan. Maybe. But where, where are people getting that from? I don't know. They're just, just guessing. Let's just look at verse 26 and all that Luke says. And they cast lots for them. So they put some stones in a cup one said matthias and three said see this guy's cheating three (laughs) said this guy's three names and they shook him and they poured it out and matthias he won he won they cast lots and that is how between two really qualified and good options neither of which would have been sin they made a choice and from there assumed this is the Lord's, this is the one the Lord chose. Because they don't know the heart. They've laid before the Lord and said, Lord, you know the heart. Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, and I'll show you this verse from Proverbs 16 about the casting of lots. It says that the man cast the lot. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so this was a way that decisions were made when you had a perfect tie between
between two good options, neither of which would have been sent. And so they, they, they choose Matthias. Matthias will be on that throne, and they are now prepared. They are prepared for Acts chapter 2, for the falling of the Holy Spirit on them in the upper room, and as where we will study next. And so um, just quickly, from, from this third and last point, just what are some applications we can make here? One is just Christian decision-making. Um, again, we shouldn't take too much from this. We shouldn't say, here's the recipe. But I do think we can see that they used wisdom and common sense. They used the objective things. Then they prayed. They talked about the subjective things. And then they did something that involved providence, the casting of lots. So we look at the external things. We, th- we pray through the internal things. And we look at the providence, the open door, the closed door, whatever. But I think that's the minor application. What's the major application of this third point? Well, well, I hope you can see that it's that we are to prioritize in our lives and in our leadership a heart for God. Can you not see that? That that was the, the, the... the urgency that the disciples had, Lord, you're the heart knower. Lord, we can't pick. Only you can pick, Lord. If you can see that, then how can we apply that and make that priority a priority in our lives and in our church today? Lord, prepare me. Wait and pray for the will of God. Be shaped and directed, most of all, by the word of God and prioritize a heart for God. Let's pray.